Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. And uh, welcome to what is probably the most clickbaity episode ever. But uh, this turned out to be a rabbit hole when you dig deep and find some reasons for what things are happening and why they are happening. And yeah, wow. Um, to be honest, this started out as an investigation of the Crimean bridge attack. And then, of course, why Kvachikov, the one of the chief crazy guys of the Club of Angry Patriots, why, why he's now being, you know, arrested and dragged to the courts and what's going to happen there. But then it went a bit deeper, really deeper. And, uh, well, spoilers a bit, but um, I'm fully convinced that actually this whole result, this war thing, um, yeah, I think... I think it's made for even more racist and bizarre reasons that you could imagine. And and not, not by the way, uh, in the way that you think. I don't know. It's just that um, Russia has been actively trying to self-disintegrate for a long while. And yeah, currently after I read through all of this mess and read some analytics, I'm more convinced than ever that, yeah... It doesn't even matter at this point. It's just going to collapse anyways on itself and turn into something else. Because the old Russia that uh, Putin and, and, and his, you know, Girkin and his buddies are trying to save, oh no, that, that's that's gone. That's so far gone that it's insane. But uh, to the point then, because again, we have a lot of news to cover. And I'll take you through my whole rabbit hole that I went through while researching this whole situation. See, first of all, it was all about the the attack on Crimea. Because, well, we've all seen the pictures of the Kerch Bridge and what happened there. And we know how, you know, how people died and everything. But the problem there is that uh, no one knows what exactly happened. See, um, within a few hours of the July 17th attack on the bridge, Russia's National Anti-Terrorism Committee attributed the explosions to two Ukrainian unmanned surface vehicles. One of them, by the way, was clearly seen in the pictures. It was this uh, kind of gyro scooter thing. You know, the, those water motorcycles. Kind of looked like that. It was a bit burnt, but it was there. And uh, apparently, Russia didn't even investigate that thing, which was suspicious. But the problem here is that, uh, yeah, this was confirmed. However, we have no proof that actually the, it was Rose that carried out the attack. We still, we still don't even have a leaked photograph of the weapons, except that's, that's my gyro scooter, which was exploded instantly, even without investigating it. There are like a bunch of circumstantial evidence about, you know, ships 500 kilometers away from the bridge and everything, but um, yeah, the ranges and of drones are, well, they just say very iffy. Apparently, well, last year in Sevastopol, Ukraine started attacking Russia's Black Sea fleet places in, in using drones of a new unknown design, and uh, one of these weapons later washed up in Sevastopol Bay, where the Russian military captured it. And, you know, they have this naval fleet of drones, and we know they're able to attack um, attack ships. However, there's a tiny little problem. Given the total distance uh, that, that we've seen from the satellite pictures, of the images, uh, the drones that are taken on these satellites would need to travel about 600 kilometers, about 373 miles from Snake Island to where they were photographed, and then all the way to the Crimean Bridge. And they would have consumed fuel alone, weighing roughly uh, 240 kilograms, 
that's about 530 pounds. The engine, the fuel system, and the payload at another 300 or so kilograms, or another 660 pounds, which just leaves about 1,000 pounds or 460 kilograms for the rest of the ship's equipment and body. Which is a bit silly because that's still a lot of explosions and everything. I mean, the problem here is that um, this calculation takes into effect that this fuel efficiency is calculated for standard jet skis, which weigh less than half of what Ukraine said it, its, its naval drones come to. There must be some trickery involved. And it's Ukraine says it has a lot of these drones, but it's just that it looks, well, very suspicious. And Ukraine, you know, also was extremely quick to take responsibility of this attack. Why is this suspicious? Because, you know, in previous cases when there were some explosions or something, Ukraine hasn't taken responsibility at all. Ukraine has denied its involvement in many attacks. It has denied it has anything to do with this. But over here, you know, Russia blamed Ukraine, and Ukraine just instantly took the blame and said, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And at the same time, Russia uh, exploded and destroyed instantly the only surviving thing, which was supposedly the guilty party for everything being destroyed. Now, I normally wouldn't, you know, bother that much. It might be a Ukrainian special forces or anything. But it's a bit iffy, you know, don't you think? This was very weird. and We don't have photos. And there are two other things. Because you see, um, in Latvia... As part of NATO, we specialize. We're a small country. We don't have the population for tons of manpower. One thing that we do have, however, is because of the, uh, because of all the world wars, everything just mowing across our territory and front line crossing over multiple times, we have a ridiculous amount of unexploded munitions still found in forests, like grenades and, and artillery shells and everything, which has led to our forces being very adept at being sappers and combat engineers. Like... We, Latvia, and a lot of Latvian forests are national training grounds for it, and we're a small country, we needed to specialize, and, and yeah, I, I just felt lucky that we have guys who take, you know, who take care of building bridges and exploding them very professionally, and I just call them up. And then there are turned two things that, uh, and this is, by the way, just the intro, uh, turned, turned out to be very suspicious. First of all, the very foundations of the bridge we're practically unharmed. From all the pictures that you can see, you can see that the the kind of the top layer is damaged, yes, and moved aside, and there's a lot of issues. There's structural damage, but in all the pictures, you can't really see the fundamental parts being destroyed. And you know, if you drive a huge, huge ass water drone and attack the bridge from below, then I think that should, you know, probably be uh, one thing that would suffer way more. Again, we have to maybe look at pictures, but they're very much top secret. But so far, it seems that the main damage is to the top parts instead of the, funda the fundaments itself. That's strange. And that's extra strange because these top parts, which is a thing you probably didn't know because I only found out, found out about this today by digging through a lot of papers, is that uh, there is a 35-meter gap between water level and kind of the part that was damaged. 35 meters. And if Russians claim it was these gyro scooters that were modified to be drones who did this, then I'd have to have to ask why and how. I mean, wouldn't you want to find out how they built these drones, but then they destroyed this? And also, if it's 35 meters, then there must be some sort of cannon contraption that shot it up, you know, the blast, and that also never happened. It's kind of weird. I mean, there are a lot of things that, um, you know state that Russia has some water drones that can attack ships, but, you know, then they attack at ground level, not 35 meters up. Previous attacks were coming from above. 
So that made me think. I mean, why would you know the Ukrainian side take responsibility so quickly? Why would the Russian side agree with this? Why would Russian side destroy their evidence that they instantly blamed and wrote in the papers? And this is where the second part comes in, because again, this was a rabbit hole that I went through. Like, I'm just interested, because I'm obviously in Ukraine's side, but something doesn't add up here, and my journalist senses started tingling about why and how, and I started thinking maybe there's something more to it. You see, today also, Prigozhin reappeared in Belarus, and this is tied to this whole thing together, and uh, he spoke with, um, with his whole Wagner group soldiers that were there, not many, by the way, just a bit over a thousand. But he stated that, uh, quote, Greetings, guys. I'm glad to see you all. Welcome to Belarusian land. We fought with dignity. You did a lot for Russia. What's happening now at the front is a disgrace, and there's no need for us to join in. And we'll wait for the moment when we can show full on what we're made of. Now, the question is, what and why and what's happening? Uh, yeah, the, then, by the way, I also added that he's going to make, if need be, Belarus, the world's second strongest army, and you might think that, you know, second one in place of Russia, but uh, no, no, no. It's Wagner Group slang. Inside, they they call themselves the world's number one army. Yes, beating United States, beating NATO, everything. Uh, to, to Wagner Group, they are the number one army of the planet Earth themselves, and they want to make Belarus number two. Where does this leave Russia? Well, nobody knows. But this is the thing. As this has happened, we, ha- we have heard a lot of sort of Ekin maybe being arrested... And he's not the only one. A lot of generals are being arrested, a lot of these turbo patriots. And, you know, if you've been following this show for a while, you know that some of these generals actually have ties to these turbo patriots. Well, the ones that criticize the army anyways. So you criticize the army after Prigozhin's attempted coup attempt, and then you get arrested, and this has led to people from uh, special forces even publishing videos about how they're going to defend their own generals to the last man. This Prigozhin's affair where he got away easily an army was made a complete fool because it just turned things over now, there are serious military analysts people that i spoke to personally who generally think that because of all the oddness about the explosion and all this anger about how Prigozhin got away with everything and how generals are have to pay for this stuff and generals who genuinely want to win the war who are on like girkin's side who just criticize the army to make everything better well pff, yeah, they're just angry. And there is a serious, serious concern that uh, what we just did just see with, again, all the weirdness that I mentioned earlier about the whole explosion part and how everyone took responsibility super easily and early and was hap- were happy about it, is the fact that this might be, you know, just uh, some generals of the army reminding Putin that, you know, have some other problems to deal with and leave us alone. We want to sit in the power structure. Which might or might not actually have been... Uh, you know, work together with the Ukrainian secret service as well. I mean, that's an interesting theory to ponder about, because again, I need to see some more drones, and it's all a bit weird. But hey, would be good if it would be true, but at least at least for once in this war we have some positive thing. And again, Wagner Group also says that, um, yeah, they are um, waiting, biding their time, that one day they might return to Russia, which is interesting. Because again, <laughs> Wagner Group and everything about how they fought. Right, at one point, uh, Russia and Ministry of Defense tried to um, kind of do some damage control, and then they stated in their propaganda machine that uh, obviously m- most people from the Wagner Group, 30,000 no less, actually you know joined the Russian military. And then one of the Wagner Group leaders just plops in 
and openly states again in defiance of this whole message that, quote, they, they uh, explained in detail about how this is total nonsense that the Russian government is saying. Quote, one of the PMC commanders, Chief of Staff Marx, said that for the Ukrainian mission, a total of 78,000 mercenaries were available in fighting. Of these, 49,000 were prisoners from various penal colonies of the Russian Federation. And, well, as of the most current data, 22,000 mercenaries were killed and 40,000 were wounded. While researching this, by the way, uh, another thing that Western media won't tell you is that... Uh, yeah, in Russian media, they also mention the fact that uh, they have a special nickname for paraplegic wounded soldiers, you know, those who've lost all their arms and legs. They, they call them samovari, because they're men, and, you know, even that is an improved matter. You might add the rest. But anyways, this uh, Marx stated, Alive and healthy remain 25,000, plus the wounded and those undergoing treatment. Of these, up to 10,000 have left and are leaving for Belarus. So unless the Russian Ministry of Defense recruits the, the dead and the wounded, their numbers are impossible. That is true. However, I also have to mention that in my talks with the military today, yeah, you know, uh, this would mean that Wagner has a relationship, like a ratio of dead to wounded of 1 to 2. In standard military tactics, 1 to 3 is considered abysmal. Ukraine's aiming for 1 to 5, which is already not that good, but yeah. That basically means that for every two wounded, like, Wagner Group for every two wounded has one dead. And the lower this is, the horrible, the more horrible it is. It's just been, you know, they call themselves effective. And this can be also explained, by the way, not just by direct shrapnels, but just by the fact that they, A, soldiers like military care, explanation for their prison culture stuff and everything, but... And be all these meat assaults. And for what? For ruins of Bakhmut? Just shows their bizarre incompetence. But then again, they want to return back home and they want to, you know, show some things when the time comes. But this whole thing causes more problems because, you know, if if uh, Russian generals are working with someone, but they're definitely pissed off at Putin and at Wagner because in my previous episode with Heaton, if you listen to that one, you understood that uh, Putin least seems to be losing the trust of his generals as well, the most loyal ones. And this whole drone explosion, yeah, made me think. Meanwhile, Wagner Group is doing their own thing for the upcoming total mess of everything. You see, Wagner Group announced that they have decided to let all former prisoners who worked as mercenaries for the military go home. It's just insane. They just took everyone, paid them off things and sent them off home. Not Africa, at home. Only the proper mercenaries of the old Wagner are going to go to Africa and make big bucks. These guys, who, are, who have all been pardoned by the president, are going to go back home. And going to, well, going to do some crazy things since it's, all over, it's always about the criminalization of the country. I've mentioned that in previous episodes a lot of times. And, you know, seeing as there's only like a couple of thousand Wagner hoops at best... 5,000 is the highest number that is, that is in Belarus. I've, I've seen numbers less than 1,000 there. And there's 25,000 of them remaining, not counting the wounded. Oh, yeah. With all the increasing crimes of the Wagner Group returning, again, remember that also Prigozhin had funded organized crime and supported them. Returning into 90s once again. But that's just the beginning of all this issue. Problem is that in the chats, Wagner fighters' relatives complain 
that these former mercenaries had them, quote, that they lead riotous lifestyles in hotels. Quote, they go drinking, walk around, pawn their medals and drink them away. There are so many of them here, from Wagner Group. They're dishonoring their comrades. I personally saw two at the bus station. They were totally wasted. It's a shame. And that's in their relatives' chat. If you think that these trained guys, out of whom many are criminals, and in this case all of them are criminals, and there are also some non-criminals going home, but for the most part, it's just these ex-convicts who now know how to use guns and are... And they have, like, their ties there. And Prigozhin's stated up there something... Yeah. <laughs> Again, a bit conspiracy-ish, a bit rabbit hole-ish, but, uh, you know, makes you think what's the occasion when Prigozhin's going to come back from Belarus. You know, he could uh, plop in as a savior, deal with the organized crime, just like Putin did, dealing with the 90s, dealing with the rebellious provinces and all this stuff. That's the mess that's going to happen. And the mess is happening. It's just going insane. And again, you know, the Russian analysts that uh, said about the fact that Putin's officers are dissatisfied and that actually poised this theory that's quite likely that it was officers attempted getting back, back and everything makes kind of sense. Meanwhile, these crime things and why this matters, because, you know, you have to remember another big study of all this war event, Ramzan Kadyrov, and how that causes problems, too. I think, you know, you're, you're seeing where this is going to. We're going to... We're, we're seeing a massive lead-up to actually these big, big riot things. Because starting with the Crimean Bridge, I went down this and understood that, yeah, I guess this is the best way why and how to explain why I believe that this whole civil war thing is possible. See, for starters, this is also just from today, for starters, there was this news about a a religious dispute in Moscow suburb. Ended up with both sides asking Putin for protection. But the problem here is that um, Moscow has millions of Put Muslim residents. Millions. Moscow is huge. 12 to 14 million people. It only has four mosques. And it has many Muslims. And you'll see why later on. It's going to be quite good. Because, again, rabbit hole thingy. And they go all over the place for, like, prayer houses and everything for their worship practices. And after a popular xenophobic pro-war telegram channel recently reported one of these centers to the authorities, uh, that was Maxim Kalashnikov, by the way, Russian riot police conducted an aggressive raid on the premises, causing the congregants to fear for their security. The incident sparked dueling video addresses to Vladimir Putin from the neighborhood's Muslim and non-Muslim communities. And that was all weird. This study needs to be read in full, and we'll get to this. So this is going to be, again, one of those bit longer episodes. On July the 10th, members of the Muslim community of Kutenki, a town in Russia's Moscow region, released a video statement addressed to Mr. Putin, of course, asking him to grant them protection from the country's security forces. On July 7th, they said, riot police had entered their prayer house, which is located in an apartment building during Friday prayers. Without removing their outside shoes, they burst into the premises where people were praying, and with screams and uncensored expressions, they applied physical force, showing no regard for the worshippers. According to the community leader Salavat Ibatulin, most of the group's members are Russian citizens. He also said that when the officers were asked to explain what they were doing, they sprayed the congregants with a fire extinguisher. He adds, I want to add that our community opposes the violation of migration law. But we can't track down violators of the law among our congregants. That must be done by the competent authorities outside our community, Ibatulian said. Our congregation includes participants of the special military operation. When these people return home from the battlefield, they are deeply offended that, uh, to see such injustice taking place at home. Mr. Putin, we appeal to you for protection. 
we ask you to intervene in this situation. And the Moscow region's Muslim spiritual directorate also released a statement in which it called the raid egregious in its audacity and said it resembled an operation to apprehend dangerous criminals. It also noted that uh, Kotelki's Muslim community is an official local religious organization registered with the Russian Justice Ministry. And, well, Kirill Kabanov, one of these members of Russia's Presidential Human Rights Council, said that at the root of this whole conflict is the fact that a religious organization should not be located in a residential building. On Fridays and holidays, he said, it's not just that it becomes impossible to drive through, residents can't even walk through. According to the newspaper Commerçant, the riot police raid may have been in response to a complaint filed by members of an organization called Russian Community. The group's popular telegram channel, channel Russian Communications Zov, obviously very pro-war, which shares information about crimes committed by migrants and raises money for Russian troops in Ukraine, wrote on uh, July the 7th. At Russian Community's request, police just visited two illegal mosques that were built directly in residential apartment buildings. They took in more than 70 people. We are awaiting their deportations. The regular Moscow police, by the way, told Commerçant that no one from regular Moscow police participated in this. This was an FSB thing. And after the Muslim community addressed Putin, Russian community shared another message to Putin, this time from the Kotelki residents. In this, these guys expressed their support for the raid on the prayer house and suggested that the Muslim community's message to the president could cause grievances against our law enforcement agencies. They called for security officials to be left alone since their raid was a response to a complaint from citizens. We must all understand that we can't go on, go on living like this. And this is where the truly xenophobic part comes in. We are not France, not Kosovo, which continue to descend into chaos. In our home, there should be order. The flow of migrants coming into our country must stop immediately. Otherwise, there's going to be a social explosion, said one of the residents. And there I agree with him. Because I looked this one up. That's the thing. They all fight about everything here. And everything. And they've also, by the way, named their whole thing about being one of the very few Russians on behalf of the few Russian residents left in the neighborhood. Interesting, right? But about Muslims? Obviously, we have to take a look at uh, Chechnya. And this is an article from 1999, by the way, from the second, second thing. You see, there were religious conflicts in the whole First War thing happened there because Chechnya is Sufi. Chechnya have their own, like, Sufi. Same person, I'm not that educated in Islam, sorry, but uh, their whole first conflict and their independence movement in Chechnya started with when some Wahhabis, the Saudi kind of more radical guys, appeared. And then uh, Ramzan Kadyrov being a Sufi and with his dad shifting positions and everything, he basically made a deal that, uh, in a way, part of his deal with Putin was that, you know, these Sufis would be left alone and that Sufis would become more important. He's also been very active talking about Muslim things everywhere, except, of course, when it comes to Uyghurs and angering China. However, this has led, you know, to, and besides his other things, to him being resented by the Muslim community. At the same time, he's very much encouraged Muslims going all over the place and, and just moving to Moscow and everything. And Ramzan Kadyrov is always extremely, extremely angry whenever someone, you know, assaults the Muslim community. If you remember, very recently I already posted about these two groups who are very aggressive about uh, having a new mosque built. Again, Moscow was only four for its millions of Muslims built, and, uh, and there was like fighting between these ultra-nationalist uh, turbo-patriots and these Muslim people. Ramzan Kadyrov, you know, if he wants to remain popular and 
you know, he probably will be put into prison by any other leader except Putin because he is a monster and a torturous, stupid person who has put gay people into concentration camps and who's like killed and kidnapped so many people. But I've always said that Ramzan Kadyrov is going to be the first one to leave. But wouldn't it be nice to leave with some of, uh, you know, good, some, some of that good faith with your fellow Muslims saying that, you know, it's because Russia presses that thing and turns it into some sort of Muslim thing because he is a Sufi. And they are being hated. All Muslims in general. Everything. Because, you might uh, know this already, but Russia has a huge demographic issue. Massive demographical problems. Like, they lose approximately insane amounts of, of people every year, and Russians, ethnic Russians are dying out. And I quote from, from one of the speeches, and this comes from the party of, of work, and these guys are um, one of the kind of more socialistic uh, opposition parties, also friends with Girkin, but um, they have actual experts on sometimes from Academy of Sciences. Quote about their Russian problem, them dying out. The expert added that this trend started in our country much earlier than in other countries. Thus, according to him, the birth rate fell below the necessary level of reproduction back in the mid-60s. Since then, it has never risen above this level. If this process continues with the current progression, the birth rate will continue to fall and population decline will continue to rise. This year, it may thus amount to at least half a million people. What he doesn't say here is that these half a million people that Russia is losing each year is if you take into account all the Central African migrants who are coming in. And not only those, African migrants. And that's a bit of a problem if you're a racist scumbag. Because you see, Russians were so busy sending their own men to die in various wars that World War II and everything previously had caused a massive, like, m massive shortage of able-bodied men. Russian men also tend to, you know, be alcoholic and depressed because of their super poor economical conditions. And not like the government is actively doing anything to encourage ladies giving birth. Today, also, another news, which, again, ties in beautifully with this, is that in one of the suburbs of Moscow, women were protesting outside that they couldn't get their kids into schools because of their weird school system things. They don't have heating in their houses and economical issues are just awful. People just don't want to have kids. They also, you know, get themselves involved in wars. And look, Wagner Group already said that there are 20,000 dead Russians and there's more with all this war and everything. That's not going to, you know, leave many people for them to build anything happening. Oh, and they hate each other too. So, I don't know. They might want to get back the Russianness, the Slavicness into the whole Russia thing by just absorbing Russians and calling them our brothers. They're better than these migrants that Putin, through his propaganda, has made everyone hate. Because Putin is openly racist. He hates everyone. He, he hates the Central Africa. He hates Central Asian people. He hates everyone. And currently, by the way... <laughs> these demographical issues about how Russia's dying out and being replaced by migrants to the insane amounts, by the way, because, again, they're all dying out because migrants don't have to fight if they don't have Russian citizenship. It's all the Russian people out there and then all these people coming in. And today, by the way, which, again, tied into everything, Igor Girkin posted this, a very racist article, like a very racist one, thinking about Russia 50 years later from now and everything about... Full with Russian, full with stereotypes, and this one, by the way, about Armenians, Africans, literally any Africans, with just total. I won't even repeat this. It was like so stupid that it's obvious that Mr. Girkin hasn't even seen a black person in his life. But he responded to a recent to a study that came out from Valdai Club, one of the very few 
like actual think tanks of Russia, where Dmitry Polyatayev, a leading researcher at the Institute for Economic Forecasting of the Russian Academy of Sciences, also the Center of Migration Research, wrote an article about migration from African countries. He stated that the migration to Russia is still insignificant in terms of scale from there, and the main channel is education migration. However, it's still 38,885 Africans staying there in Russia, and a lot of them had permits and everything. And he states that due to Russia's friendly ties with Africa, also note Wagner Group and whatever they're doing there, because like in Central African Republic, where Wagner Group is helping the, the dictatorial government up there prop everyone up, people are being taught Russian at schools, they have Russian flags everywhere and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously they want to go and see what's happening there. So <laughs> there's a nice idea that a lot of people could come there, just as people from Central, Af Central Asian Republics come over there, and of course, all the Ramzan Kadyrov's buddies from various Muslim countries and Syria and Afghanistan, everything. Oh, so, you know, just saying that uh, Africa is also going to have a population explosion. Meanwhile, Russia's official birth rate is uh, 1.5 children per, per woman. And they also have like one of the very worst, one of the very worst life expectancies in, in all of Europe since uh, their retirement age is higher for men than the average life expectancy. It's just amazing. So they're in the demographical pit, Africa's exploding, Africa's is friendly, and they could come on in. And this center predicts that, um, yeah, this is going to explode since, you know, they'll have learned Russian in school, they'll go to Russia. The very same reason why, I don't know, people from all over the British Empire came to the United Kingdom after all. Yeah, they knew their culture, and as one of them told me at one point, you know, they spent all of this time telling us how everything was better in Britain and how they were superior to us. That you know, I knew I knew the language, just wanted to check out for myself. That's going to happen in place there, and that would kind of actually solve their own demographic issues, which is caused by, well, their massive corruption, lack of healthcare, lack of education, lack of proper housing, lack of heating, and all these other issues. Oh, and constantly dying in wars. The problem is, if you base your own ideology and everything on absolute racism, then you hate this whole idea. And you don't can't really blame this stuff. You have to blame the West for everything. Everyday racism is totally noticeable, and, and it was there in the Soviet era, and uh, it's just crazy. Public opinion polls show that over the past decade, uh, over 25 to 30% were not ready to see from people from Africa close in their lives. They would not let, let them into their country. Another 30% of Russians uh, will only let them in temporarily. They are not very friendly people, and they've also caused this stuff themselves as well, if you think about it. Like with their birth rate, which is just, you know, caused by their incompetent government and everything. This is all completely crazy, especially since they're still, you know, drove, drawing all these students from Africa coming over this. Which is obviously another thing that these whole racist guys in Putin's, Putin's side don't completely hate. At the same time, the very same patriots that claim that if they take over Russia over Putin, they will solve everything. Well, I have nice little two things to tell you about this one as well. See, Tinder left uh, Tinder left Russia very very recently, and one of the leaders of this party of action, which is also allied with the Girkin's Lab of Hungry Patriots, which is turning into a more and more serious force in this whole matter, because currently we're looking at Prigozhin, with his ties organized crime, and Kadyrov, and then Girkin is playing his political thing. Well, this guy stated that, quote, In July, the dating app Tinder stopped working in Russia. The publication Osbots interviewed experts, Osbots is their official publication thing, just saying, and found out whether the shutdown of one of the most popular platforms will affect Russian society. 
Yuri Krupnov, a member of the Federal Council of the Party of Action and chairman of the Supervisory Board of the Institute of Demography, Migration and Regional Development, believes that spending time together is important for creating and maintaining a family. Active development of domestic tourism in the Russian Federation can help with this. Quote, Tourism is of an order of magnitude greater importance than any dating apps. Another thing is that there's a problem of dating and full-fledged communication. But it's definitely not solved by apps. It's just that people even meet in tourist buses when they go somewhere. They see each other in a non-standard situation. We need to specifically design such things for young people. They also have all sorts of plans and they want to restore economy and they always yell about how small businesses in Russia are being destroyed. Then again, I've spoken a lot of these issues previously. But at the same time, this same Yuri Krupnov guy, who's responsible in that party for the demographical situation there, he also noted some actual facts that he had gotten from real scientists in the Academy of Sciences. Quote, Russia has set another anti-record in birth rates since the beginning of the 21st century. Every day, on average, only 3,204 children are born in the, in the country. Uh, many, many more die. They're, like I said, they're losing half a million of people, and that's not even counting all the migrants from Central Asia and soon from Africa as well that's going to come in. But, you know, Russians are becoming an, a minority there, very actively. To the point, by the way, where in Moscow, in the city of Moscow, with all these millions and everything, Ethnic Russians already are a minority. And if you ask someone from out there, is Moscow Russia? <laughs> Every Russian that I've ever spoken to would say no. Just no. It's a city where the ultra-wealthy live, and they used to be, you know, served by uh, just migrants from Central Asia who come in there and, uh, you know, do things. With Muslims and everything. It's weird, but Moscow is no longer a Russian city already. So, that's fun. These guys who are trying to solve this issue... Well, these geniuses, who honestly have their influence and clout, and this ties back together, because these guys, together with this party of Club of Angry Patriots, yeah, they have their ties in the Russian military. Girkin especially does so. If there would be anyone who would want to do some, you know, damage to get attention off of, uh, off of these generals being arrested, that would be Girkin's belt. Because, you know, Girkin has all the active contacts in the Russian military. And those guys who are motivated and talented enough to actually care, who are not conscripts and who would be out there to actually protesting, are the ones most likely to get arrested. Just like Mr. Kvachikov, the crazy guy who's also an ex-general. So it all ties together. These guys want to rely on the army. Ramzan Kadyrov wants to rely on his guys and all the Muslim things. Prigozhin relies on criminals. Russia's dying out. Everything's getting criminalized. But, you know, maybe these guys are sane. Maybe these guys, as they think, truly are the salvation and they want to, you know, save the Russianness and Russian culture of everything. That's the thing. At one point, this guy that I just quoted previously, he noted that academics think that, obviously, uh, well, there's sort of material issues with, with us with this stuff and, and you know why people don't want to have kids in Russia it's just that you know the situation is grim and dark and they're the ones also you know often saying that their roads are un like everyone's stealing roads are not being prepared army's failing everything's terrible they are guys that point out, point out at the corruption yet at the same time this very person whose party criticizes Putin and he himself does so too well, and on, from the position of small businessmen very often stated the following quote Again, he's the member of Dem Demography, Migration, and Regional Development. Yuri Krivnov, he noted that there is no connection between housing, wealth, and birth rate. The issue is different. In suicidal consciousness, when we gladly tell how we would have many children if we had this or that, behind all these elaborate excuses is the refusal to live. 
the refusal to continue to procreate. This is the fundamental reason that needs to be studied, he added. And then I could agree with him. I mean, Russia, if you look at everything that we've been through today in this episode, is a suicidal society. And I mean, if you ask how long it had survived like this, well, it's a zombie state currently without any real law, rule of law. And the dumbest part is that even the people who claim to be these experts, they look at this whole situation and they can't even imagine that, yeah, you know, people really want some good healthcare and housing and schools for their kids before they can have kids. Because it's today and today everything's much more expensive and weird and we're living in a time of war, people want stability. That's the number one thing why people wouldn't want to do this. And they just refuse to, to solve this stuff. I mean, a lot of problems everywhere, but if you tie this whole thing together, there's a little point about how, you know, why I think this is going to explode at some point. Social explosion, again, if the migrants continue to come, and they will. And Prigozhin will continue making ominous statements, and these guys will continue being arrested, thus pissing off other officers, which, you know, even if they didn't help or work with Ukrainian special forces last time, might as well, some of them might as well do that next time as well. It's gone to the point where Maxim Kalashnikov recently arrived, two days ago, by the way, from his visit to Donetsk, and he himself, in his very open words, and this is a guy who's like Igor Girkin's best buddy, very, he, he, he you know, thinks that everything has to go on and that Ukraine must be destroyed. He himself stated that uh, the Russian soldiers were surprised when they went to the Ukrainian parts of Donetsk and Donbass and they saw that people in the countryside have internet. And he made a bunch of videos about how life is truly extremely miserable there. He laments that the current government is useless and can't even provide anything to provide a positive message for this Russian world. I really don't know what kind of positive message can be out there when their, their country is riddled with so, so many problems of, of criminalization, of corruption and joblessness and healthcare is just in ruins. Like Everything's just getting smashed together. You can also just listen to my previous episodes. I've been at this for nine years. There's a lot of that if you want to know that, this in detail. And I don't know. They want to win this war, apparently, as it seems to me. Grab Ukrainians, turn them into Russians because they're running out of Russians in their own country and they need more to go in there. They need more Slavic people. Because otherwise, you know, they're afraid that uh, there's going to be more and more Muslims, Ramzakadirov tied Muslims, and a lot of Central, Central Asian people and then South African people. And what then? They are truly afraid and panicking about that situation. And at the same time, they, they do, don't do anything to make their country a better place. They rely on this whole cheap labor and they still keep the guy in power because, you know, who's made, made everything this way, who's just made the problem worse. It would, have, it would already be bad if, if just for the World War II and previous things, but this new war, yeah, this is just awful. But there, at the end, I have to agree here. What started out as a simple, simple investigation with the Crimean Bridge, it led... It came full circle there. And yeah, you know, at the beginning, the whole idea that it might be some sort of angry officers blowing some stuff up there. Well, they're the same guys who know Kvachkov and who are members of this party as well, a couple of them. You know, interesting. Maybe a, maybe a coincidence, but I wouldn't be surprised if it wouldn't be. And certainly, there's huge potential for next time something like that happening actually not being a coincidence at all. And the worst part for all well, the Russia thing is that, yeah, I don't know. Again, I have to refer to my previous episode where I talked with Mr. Heaton about this stuff and he really thinks that there's need to be, there's going to be the need for some peace deal and anything. And 
he doesn't see how Russia collapses itself internally and he doesn't see all these problems. He sees the monolith face that Putin presents, but it's not like that. It's never been like that. And I truly think that just... Even, even, even if we would just like stop the war and freeze it right now, I think that eventually, like in 10 years' time or something, Russia would just internally collapse on its own. And that would be their own fault, by the way, especially Vladimir Putin's. Which is very sad because, again, if you look at these other ethnic tensions and all this stuff, they could have done so many things to fix everything. And they have all this mess happening there. And then they're kind of surprised that people don't want to don't go there. But it's just we live in those very strange times. We're going to have to see what happens here because... These arrests and protests happening there, everything's going to move a bit faster now. To be honest, I uh, have my theories about why why Ukrainian counterattack is not going as smoothly as expected at the beginning. I have some information about it, but um, yeah, I, I have my, my theories and my information. So don't worry about that part, by the way. That's a thing. I think Ukrainians also understand 99% of all this plan thing that I that we spoke about here today. Because again, you know, problems never exist on their own in some sort of a vacuum. They always tie together and it all comes down to corruption, thievery, and just not caring about the people and at the same time, you know, telling them that they're, they're the greatest. Because if you boil down everything to this, to the, the Russian attitude, Russian violence, the fact that if you go to Vkontakte or some Russian social media, you'll see a bunch of posts against racism, a bunch of posts whining about the demographical situation, a bunch, bunch of posts calling for extermination of all Ukrainians, as if something's going to get better. Well, this is the result. This is the result of if you just spend ridiculous amount of time stealing resources in, in, from people, not allowing them to grow as a population, get them education or healthcare or anything, and at the same time force-feed them information that everywhere else it's much worse. Well, and why? <laughs> because of all these other people. Yeah, you know, it's them, and that's why it's worse there. And they also, you know, don't stop with their stupid, ridiculous claims. And at some point, they must have worked. I mean, <laughs> it would be, you know, very angry, angering for such people to see, you know, people in Europe living quite well off and not caring about such weird issues or people in the United States, if they've been told that they're the best ones and they know that they're not living themselves in any good situation. It's a bizarre situation, really. And uh, yeah, the more I learned about all these all these situations and the motivations of the people involved and the internal conflicts that are happening constantly and the opinions about this and, and the trends that are going to happen soon with all this demographical data, and how Russia is just losing Russians. And note, by the way, in the regions outside of Moscow, yeah, a lot of, reg a lot of regions where Russians are already, like, extreme minorities. And that makes them kind of despise everyone even, even more, because, you know, people will want to look and have some more rights than being just racistly insulted and all over the place. I honestly do not know how... Russia, even presuming that they somehow managed to stop the war right now and everyone walks home, even then, with all this mess happening, with all these plans and everything, no, 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 no. I unless they unless they put everyone into a massive concentration camp, we're seeing uh, the last gasps of this bizarre empire, and it's bizarre people who can't even figure out who themselves they are and who they want to be. 
and whose only source of kind of glory is, I suppose, trying to conquer other people. But yeah, that's about it for today. And thank you for listening to this episode. It was kind of deep and it was nice and made me go into circles because, again, it all started out, it's kind of like Wikipedia threads, when I start out with one subject, then I call, then I ask, then I lead to the research, and then I went through this circle, yeah, and it's just really weird. But I hope that it was very revealing about the brewing, actually intensifying problems inside of Russia, which are going to explode at one point, sooner or later. And the everyday war continues on, and Putin doesn't win, well, this comes sooner. I don't know what we're going to do in our small Latvia when their wave of refugees comes over, but we'll deal with this at some point in the future. The German guys, by the way, have left currently, and they're going to go to the Vilnius, and then they're going to come to Riga, and then we're going to stay here for a bit until we get the car in order. Uh, you're going to probably see them as well. It's going to be interesting. If you want to support the show, by the way, of course, please uh, consider becoming our patron on patreon.com slash border. You can also click the donate button on the website theeasternborder.lv. Or, you know, if you want to help some other way, just email me or join our Discord or or write me on Twitter. Actually talk to people. Oh, on Discord, for patrons, by the way, we recently had a watch-along of uh, Death of Stalin. I commented that stuff. Pretty good movie. Had, had fun events there. We're going to have Sean on the show, too, as well, very soon. Lots of work. I have an article to finish uh, for Foreign Policy magazine before I leave because, ugh, again, everything's a bit of a mess. But, you know... <laughs> Sometimes you kind of have to sit through and sometimes you write philosophy and sometimes you sit sit and do analytical journalism because one data point leads you to the next one. It's all a bit of a mess, again. But I hope that, uh, yeah, I hope that Mr. Heaton listens to this show. Andrew, I respect you, but I honestly thought that your skepticism and not thinking that Rush could collapse in itself with these social issues and everything, with active destruction of, of their own whole system, I don't know. To be honest, this is more politicized and a bit worse than even the even the United States. Because one thing in the United States partisanism is that you have institutions, no matter what. Like, everyone respects the position of president. It's always going to rule the thing. So you have these institutions, and Russia has none of these. Getting very scary right now again. But yeah, I I really hope you enjoyed this episode. A bit longer than usual, put a lot of a lot of work in it, tons of data, had to squeeze some things, leave some things out. And then I don't know, probably gonna make one in a, in a, on the twenty second when I'm gonna record with Sean. Again, please consider supporting our show. And uh, as usual, as always, happiness is mandatory. <laughs>